0: So today, like we talked about, we are starting a brand new series called True or False. Now, uh, I want to ask you guys a question. When you were at school, like back in the day, however long that goes, some of you guys are still students and you're at school, um, what was your favorite type of test to take? And uh, no open book test is not an option. Did you, would you prefer a multiple, cho- multiple choice or true or false? All right, raise your hand if you're the multiple choice crowd. Okay, that's a decent amount. Or you wanted true and false. Yeah, I don't know why you would want not true or false. Like, there's a 50% chance of getting it right. Like, that was for me, I was like... I can at least kind of maybe guess and get a few right here on this. Um, How many of you were the type of people when it came to school, like you were really good at knowing the knowledge and knowing what was there, but when it came test taking time, you were just a bad test taker. Like you knew it, but when it came time to take the test, it was like you just started sweating and, and you don't know what it was, you just had a really hard time with tests. That's you. Raise your hand. Be willing to admit it. Okay. Raise your hand if you knew somebody or had that friend who is like that rare unicorn who like did not really know the stuff, but somehow they were just really good at taking the test. They could take the test and just crush it, all right? Yeah, there's those people out there. One of the things that we were were talking through with this series, True and False, is that, man, sometimes when we get to especially true or false tests, um, man, one of the ways you could kind of try to cheat the system was to take a, a T and F and draw, you remember we used to write with pencils, right? You could take a T and an F and you could, with a pencil, draw both of them and then you erase the whole thing and then you would just kind of write right in a T, so it kind of looked like because your whole purpose was where well, you were trying to do what? You're trying to fool your teacher. You're trying to get your teacher to look at your thing and to believe the best about you, because she's, she's a teacher, and she loves you, and she cares about you. she doesn't want you to flunk algebra, you know she wants you to you know to pass British literature so you can get on and use that British lit knowledge for the rest of your life. Um, and she'd look at that thing and she'd go, "Uh, I'm not sure." And um, we, we labeled this series True or False, and we kind of gave it this logo because that's actually something that somebody, we found this online, this is actually something that somebody on a test wrote in on a true-false test, like that thing right there is what they wrote in. Um, and there's this whole, you know, there, there's a, it's a meme, it's created, you know, this is what you write in when you're taking a true or false test. And what it kind of makes is, I guess, this weird blend of the two words, I guess you would call it uh, trulls, trulls. Truce, truce or charles I don't know what the backwards way of that is. But it's, it's saying, I don't want it to be this thing, and I'm not sure it's this thing, but it's, I'm not sure it's this thing either, so I'm gonna kind of make up my own thing. And how confident would you be if there was a really big test that you were required to take? And maybe it was 50, 100 questions long, and it was all true or false. And as you were taking your test, you wrote that thing right there into all of the answer boxes. How confident that you would be able to get that back and be able to have your teacher say, you passed or you failed. I see a lot of that is contingent on your teacher, right? How well they know you, how well they know your motives, what you're trying to do based off a writing answer like that. Because really when you do a tross, and again, we do trosses on tests, but we've done some trosses in life too, Right? Where we said, I don't know if I'm this thing, and, and over here I'll be this thing, and over here I'll be this thing, and, and, and when I lay my head down at night, I'll just pretend that I'm a little bit of both. And the test that is life, what we're going to see and uncover as we get ready to finish out the summer on the Mount is that Jesus gives no third option. There's either a true follower, a true believer, a true builder, or it's false. You cannot make up a third option. You can't make up a new way. And we're going to see how he lays all this out. If you got a Bible, you can go to John. Or John. Man, it would be nice to be in John. We've been in Matthew forever, right? Um, we're going to actually hit some John today, believe it or not. Uh, Matthew is where we're at. We've been as a church for the last few months going through the entire Sermon on the Mount, and now we are kind of, we have hit the pinnacle last week of the golden rule, where Jesus said, as you wish other people would do unto you, do to them also. We hit that pinnacle last week, and now Jesus is landing the plane, and he does it with a vengeance, and we're going to read that and unpack that as we go through this true and false series. So if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 7, you there yet? Say yeah. Okay, if you're not there yet, you knew I was going to be in Matthew chapter 7. All right. This is where you're at. Silence all your phones. Um, let's go. Matthew chapter 7, so starting verse 13. I'm going to uh, read you through the whole end of Jesus' sermon here. Uh, we're going to unpack two specific verses today, but we're going to read through at the beginning here the entire ending. And I want you to hear this with the same importance that you would put on the last things that someone who you love the most says to you before they leave, before they go. in the same way that we started this Sermon on the Mount, we leaned in heavy to, okay, this is the most influential sermon that the most influential person to ever walk on the face of earth, what were the first words out of his mouth? Okay, now, if you've ever done a public speech or or a sermon or a lesson or taught anything before, you know, it's really important how you begin and it's really important how you end. And that really important ending for Jesus is what we're getting ready to walk through. And again, I say this before, say it again. I don't know why you came to church today, but these are the most important words you will hear. These words of Jesus. And so let's quiet our hearts, quieter minds. And hear them like we were there on that hillside in Galilee. This is what he said. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is a gate and broad is a road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is a gate narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus, we come to a, a jarring passage like this where. Where, you, where we see and hear you calling us out of a place where we just pretend like you're not making us go one way or the other. Jesus, these words that we, we read here, they are they're hard because they cause us to, to look in our own mirror, look at our own lives, look at our own fruit to look at our own house and life and what we're building it on. To take a moment and look at the path that we have found on, to look at what we're pursuing, what we are entering through, what we are hoping in. And Jesus, I pray that through your words today that that everybody here and all those watching, all those listening after the fact, that we would understand the implications of whether we find what is true or false. And so, Jesus, I pray today specifically that for my friends here today who are confident in who you are and who they are in you, that they're not, that there wouldn't be an unnecessary fear that is created in there to doubt their salvation. And I pray also for anybody here today who is unnecessarily believing that there are things between you and them that are secure, that they would not be falsely and comfortably just lulled into believing that those things are all good when they're all not. Help us to see what path we're on. Help us to see what gate we've walked through and to see you most importantly, in your name, amen. All right, so I don't normally do this, but I'm gonna give you the whole point right out of the gate, all right? I'm gonna give you the whole point right out of the gate no pun intended, and we're gonna continue to walk through this for the rest of the day. Again, I've got two main verses of scripture that we're gonna unpack, and again, I don't know what you showed up to looking for at MCC, but man, at the end of the day, this is is a Bible church, and and, and I am just a a helpless little messenger who is coming and bringing you the words of Jesus, and we're gonna talk about what they mean and what they mean for our lives, and we're just gonna let the cookies crumble where they do. And, and, and my hope and my prayer is that you can find in MCC a place that goes, hey, we're gonna take Jesus at what he says. We're gonna treat this word like he actually said it, like he actually meant it. We're gonna take it at face value and then ask that really big question, which is if this is really true, what in the world do I do with it? And that's the big giant question. Do I really believe that these are the words of Jesus? Do I really believe that this is the word of God? And if I do, then what do I do about that? And so we come to this passage and we hear Jesus uh, making this very bold point that is actually not a new point, but he makes this really big point here, and it's this, that for us, regardless of whatever road you think you're on, neutral is not an option. Neutral is not an option. He makes that really clear through this passage, everything that we read. He says there's a wise and foolish builder. And then before that, he said there's true and false disciples. And then before that, he said there's true and false prophets. And then he said before that, there's a, a false gate, and there's a true gate. So he comes to us today and he says the same thing to every single one of us. He says, there are two paths that you can go down. There's a true way and a false way. And today, what I wanna do, again, despite how quote unquote saved you thought you were when you walked in here today, I want us to just pause and really take a true assessment of what path we are on. Like you owe it to your, yourself, you owe it to your family, you owe it to your legacy and what you will leave behind to make sure that you're on the true path because friends, neutral is not an option. And that's nothing new. what Jesus comes to here as he culminates the Sermon on the Mount is actually him just picking up on a theme that God has put in place really since the beginning of time that neutral is not an option. One of my favorite verses on this is Joshua 24, verse 15. Uh, I'm going to show it to you guys on the screen. don't necessarily have time to unpack a ton of it, but, but I want you to be able to see this reality that Jesus isn't coming and doing this new teaching, that God was just kind of like all before Jesus going, okay, you kind of just you know figure it out, do what you want to do, and at the end, I'll just kind of judge you based off of whether or not you did a lot of good things and your good outweighs your bad and then you can come on and find me. No, he says there is actually a different thing than that that determines where you spend your life with has everything to do with God. What he says is real, not what we think. So in Joshua 24, 15, he says this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But it's for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love this passage. And I want you to see something really early on at the beginning of it, okay? He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, not if believing the Lord seems undesirable to you, which is is gonna be key in this whole passage where we begin to unpack whether or not you're actually through the gate and on the narrow path, It's not just about believing. It's not about just in your head going, Jesus is Lord. Because he didn't say, but if uh, believing the Lord seems undesirable to you. But if serving. Serving. And then again, he says, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors who served on the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. Now again, what he's pointing out here as this is being written it's not like, well, I'm just gonna not serve anybody. I'm gonna just choose, when I once I get all the evidence laid out, who I'll choose, which is sometimes how we treat these things. No, choose. he said, choose when? Not when you get all the evidence. He said, you're gonna choose today. And every single person, the sound of my voice listening, you, you will choose today, whether or not you will follow Jesus or follow some other false god, false religion. And at the end of the day, there are only two religions. There's a religion of the Savior, Jesus and the religion of Satan and every other iteration of religion, whether it's Hinduism, Muslim, uh, you know, New Age, whatever Tom Cruise and Oprah Winfrey believe in, all of those things are all just iterations of what Satan would say is this false religion. And there's a true religion that is life and Jesus. And he lays this out. And he calls us to this place where we have to make a decision on this. We have to make a decision on who we will serve. It has to be a decision that we understand that if we just pause and go, well, I'm gonna make a decision up when I learn some more things. I'm going to do some more research. There's no such thing as indecision. Neutral is not an option. You just chose the God of your ancestors. You just chose the God of the Amorites. You just chose to follow the false because you chose to delay a decision for Christ. And then Deuteronomy uh, 13, or Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 through 20 is another one I love. Um, This is actually. Moses uh, speaking on God's behalf to the people. They've just cost, crossed through uh, the Red Sea. They've entered through that. Uh, they've all turned around and kind of watched Pharaoh and his army be completely overtaken. The ten plagues and all that fun stuff has already happened, and they are on the other side. And God's going, "Okay, I pulled you out of Egypt. I rescued you. Now you're my people. Now I want you to. I want to help you understand what it looks like to be my people. I was just your savior. I saved you out of here. Really, not contingent on on who you are, what you were doing. I mean, I had you guys. I didn't did all 10 of those plagues, I had you at the toes touching the water of the Red Sea and there were still dozens of people in the crowd of those Israelites going, Moses, how dare you? Like, we're gonna die. Uh, This is terrible. We wish we would just rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. After all God had already done. And to that people who hadn't got their act together, were still tiptoeing on the Red Sea with mountains of unbelief in their heart. God goes, despite all of that, I'm gonna save you. And saves them. And he says, okay, now I have completely showed that despite even your own efforts and how short or much you have done good, I'm still going to save you. Now, here's what a life looks like as my people. Here's what I look like as a Lord to your life. And he writes this to him. He speaks it through his prophet Moses. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Isn't that crazy to think about? They're like on a, daily, on a daily basis, life and death, blessing and curses in front of you. Like think about the things you put in front of you first and foremost in the morning. And then to also know that life and death and blessing and curses, God is putting in front of you. Like think about in your lower story, like we wake up in the morning, first thing we put in front of our face is the phone. And God in heaven is like looking at our day beginning and go life and death and blessing and curses, they're in front of them right now. And then think about the things you choose to put in front of you very first thing. Like, it's bad, right? Right, like, it's crazy to think about that. And God says, okay, I'm calling all heaven in, and here's what I'm putting in front of you, life and death, blessing and curses. And he says, now choose life, choose life, so that you and your children may live. Now, did you catch that? In both of these verses, it wasn't just a you decision. Like, you just do you. In both of these verses, there were, there were generational implications. Now, again, your faith will not save your kids. Your faith will not save your grandkids. Your grandmama's faith isn't saving you. But what you can do, parents, grandparents, what we do through our faith is we till the soil so the seed of faith can begin to grow in our kids' lives. And so he says, you have no idea the implications of whether or not you would choose right or choose wrong. There are generational impacts that are coming. So he says, choose life so that you and your children may live. Verse twenty and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. You wanna talk about what faith in God looks like? It's those three things, that you will love the Lord your God, that you will listen to his voice, and that you will hold fast to him. And that verse continues on, verse 20. For the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. We see a lot of stickers around on the back of cars, and it's like, even out where I live, there's this one sticker. I, maybe somebody's business, but it's like septic life. Like, and again, it's, of course, in Ola, um, but septic life. Like, and I'm just like, well, man, that's, that's a bad, I mean, maybe if that's your thing, like that's your business, good, I mean, I guess. Um, but like we have all these things that we want to define our life about and we will brag about, this is my life, it's baseball mom life, or it's dad life, or it's, you know, salt life, or it's late. We have all these things that we want our life to be defined about. And again, I get all of that and I get being proud of the things that, you, that matter to you. But my big question today is, really, what is your life? Like, what is life to you? God says, as he's making this promise, I think he's trying to make with us as well. He says, for the Lord is your life. And he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, again, this whole idea of there are two paths and neutral is not an option, it is not something new. And what Jesus does in here is in this last passage, as he's landing the plane of the Sermon on the Mount, he takes these two choices, this true or this false, and he breaks it down in four different ways to help us understand these things. And that's what we're gonna walk through here in verses 13 and 14. So open your Bible up, let's eat through it. First and foremost, verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Enter, look how he starts the sentence. He just comes right out of the gate swinging. Not, hey, let me, let me talk to you about something. He comes right out of the gate swinging, enter through the narrow gate. It, it's imperative, he's giving action, he's giving a direction. And for all of us who have ever had moments in our Christian walk where we've just gone, Jesus, I just wish you'd tell me what to do. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. Now, you may sit in there going, okay, well, what in the world is this narrow gate? What's the narrow gate? What's the narrow gate? How do I find it? I want to enter in through it. Here's, here's, here's some breaking news for you. It's, it's not a what. It's a who. It's not a path. It's a person. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verses nine. He says, I am the gate. So to answer our question, uh, when he says, enter in through the narrow gate, well, what's the narrow gate? John 10, nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It's a great place for an Amen. He said, they will come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. The thief, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, most of all, all of us in the room, we would say, man, I wanna have life. I wanna have life to the fullest, right? Like, we would all kind of agree on that. But he says, okay, the way to get into that life is to go through the gate. And the gate is Jesus. Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You know, that's one of the things that Christianity gets picked for. It's way too exclusive Yes, if you, were, if you were God of heaven and you sent your son to die on a cross and that was the, the thing that you did, you would make coming and gaining access to you very exclusive as well if you traded in what he traded in. You would be exclusive too. And trust me, you want a God who's exclusive because that means he's just. That means he loves. That means he cares. So he says, enter in through the narrow gate. That's what he tells you to do, very, very blunt, just boom, that's right. And everything, that he, we, all the next examples we'll talk through, they're all expounding on that enter in through the narrow gate. And he tells you why you need to enter through the narrow gate. And next, next part of that, next, next thing after the comma. Four, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. All right, again, let's take it kind of word by word. For wide is the gate. There's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. Now, I thought Jesus was the gate. So is there a, a, a wide way to Jesus and a, and a narrow way to Jesus? What are we after there? Because he, he says, enter in through the narrow gate, but then he says, there's, there's a wide gate. And again, we talked about this a little bit already. Neutral's not an option. And so if you're here and you just never choose Jesus, well, friend, like you've already entered in through the wide gate. You're, you're already on the broad path. There's exit after exit after exit, and you've already probably experienced some of those exits, and there's, there's some things that, that Satan has tried to get you to stay on that broad path, but there is this broad path. He talks about these two gates, and this is where, where we see the really hard part, man, about Christian life in a place like where we live. Sometimes when we think about these, this narrow gate that leads to life in Jesus, and we think about this broad gate that leads to destruction, we think that they're just blatantly obvious which one are which. But I'm here to tell you that the narrow gate and the the wide gate, they both look exactly the same before they start. The signs pointing towards both of those paths, both say, this way leads to Jesus. This way leads to God. This is heaven. This is the real life. At both of them, the sign points at the trailhead says, this way to God. This one says the same thing. The the broad, wide, this way to God. It doesn't say, this is gonna lead you to hell. It doesn't say highway to hell and big flashing lights up here, right? Because nobody would go that way. And that's that's Satan's very smart strategy to not go that way. And again... Man, you remember last, last this kind of series and see what Jesus is doing here. Last series, we all talked about our insecurities. We, we talked about how um, Jesus wants to meet our insecurities, insecurities around uh, finance, inse- insecurities around money, insecurity around our, our anxiety and our nervousness about what people think about us, by what we have, do we fit in, do we measure up, insecurities that cause us to judge other people, insecurities that, that make us not ask, seek, and not God in prayer. But I want you to see in the same way that Jesus takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he uses it for good, Satan does the exact same thing. He runs Jesus' same playbook, it just in the opposite direction. Let me explain that to you. Satan will say, I'm gonna take what my enemy, Jesus, meant for good, and I'm gonna use it for evil. And so at the, at the, at the signpost of the entrance to the place he's headed, he writes Jesus' name. Said, this, this will lead to him. He's not scared to use his name. He's not scared to talk you into like, I want you to like think this is it. Now, again, his Jesus is a false representation. And this is where like churches, and we're definitely gonna get into this, man. I I hope you come. Like I really, I was planning on talking about the narrow and wide gate today in combination with true and false prophets. But the more I started learning about false prophets and the damage that it has on the local church, man, the more I was like, this has to be, it's completely own standalone thing. So um, I know next week is Thanksgiving week. So uh, bring your auntie and your grandmama and everybody else who's eating Thanksgiving at your house and <laughs> come hang out with that. And you know, maybe you get them to change churches when they go home. Um, but that's gonna be fun to talk about next week. What Jesus is saying here though is, in, in 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 all these circles that we do life and faith in there's a full gospel that realizes there's a gate and then a path on the other side though it's just a gate and then whatever else happens it's i come and i go through jesus cuz both sides say you got to go through jesus right the narrow gate and the wide gate say go through jesus One side though says, the the narrow side goes, go through Jesus and then get prepared to live a life where you take up your cross, you die to yourself and you follow him or you say no to the things that your flesh craves, where you're honest with people, where you confess your sins to people, where where you have to, to let go of your resources, where you can't do money your way, you can't do sex your way, you can't do your identity your way, where you have to surrender it to the word of God. That's gonna be a life. You're gonna enter through the gate of Jesus. He's gonna be your savior. But once you pass through that, you're on a path with a guy who is now your Lord. He's a ruler and he's reigning over your life. Now, again, that's not to constrain or to constrict you, but that's to give you true life, a life that will not kill you. And that's that's the narrow gate that leads to that narrow path. And again, the broad path at the onset says, come in through Jesus. Trust in him as your personal Lord and Savior. Many churches all across the country. This is this is this is usually how it goes. I'm not, I'm not gonna try to beat up. I'm very I'm trust me, I'm generalizing here. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Everybody pray this prayer. Pray it with me. Or if you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand. All right, hand is up. Okay, great. All right, church, let's clap our hands. Let's all, let's all rejoice because today, I, I, while y'all weren't looking, I counted, and again, we're just trusting his math, I counted 53 people who gave their life to Jesus and are eternally secure today. Because a, a, a prayer and a hand and in many of churches all around us, there are people who, if, I sat, if you sat down with them, you would say, okay, <clears throat> on a scale of one to 10, how secure are you in your eternal salvation in Jesus? They would maybe go, yeah, I'm seven or eight. You go, why? Some people will go, because I did a lot of good things. And you're like, you're secure in your good things. That's not, that's not good. And then some people will go, well, I prayed a prayer when I was four, or, or I prayed a prayer when I was 13 at camp. And what's really dangerous, man, and I I just say this as a guy who's seen some stuff of life and experienced some things, like, I'm, I just personally, and again, as I take scripture as what it is, I think it's very dangerous to say that my faith is secure because of my decision. My faith is secure because of something that I, like, I, I prayed that prayer, so I'm good with, I'm good with that. And again, that's why I go back to, that's why I read you the Deuteronomy verse. I, I love Jesus. I listen to Jesus. I'm holding fast to his practices. That's why I go, okay, maybe there's something more than just I prayed this prayer because we've all been around those people. And man, I've been this person too, where I prayed that prayer. And then you looked at my life. that was supposed to be on this now path, this straight and narrow path where there was supposed to be pressure from the outside to Jesus to mold me, shift me and change me into who he actually is. Not the best version of me to change me into who he is. So that, that what Paul said was true of his life, that is no longer I who live, but as Christ who lives in me, that would be me. Because it's actually him living through me. So that's him on that sports team. It's him in the boardroom. It's him as an Uber driver. It's him delivering that food. It's him at the PTA meeting, praise God. It's him in traffic. And then we come over here. We get, we enter in and we're Jesus. And then we've all been these people, we've all been around these people who you enter in, and maybe I prayed the prayer, I went forward at a camp, I threw a log into a fire at some men's retreat or something, and then I'm in here, and my life is still exactly the same. There's no change, there's no repentance. Uh, I think like everybody else thinks, I spend money the way everybody else spends money. I'm hungry for the th- same things that all the carnalness of the world at once. I talk the same way to my wife. I raise my kids the same way. I go to the same stores, I buy the same things. I think the same way. My my, my operating system is still based off of my flesh, not on the flesh of the one who was torn, whipped, and beaten to give me a new life that was completely radically different than what this life was. And so what we do is we take this narrow path and this narrow gate that is Jesus is my Lord and he is my savior. And many people, we end up here just saying, Jesus, you are a great savior. And again, this is where Satan uses this amazing strategy of a false sense of security because we have believed half of the gospel that Jesus is just okay with being your savior. And that whole being your Lord part is optional. That whole repentance and change is optional. And friends, it's not. Now again, what this means is, He's not calling you to a life of absolute perfection where you're going to get everything right all the time. And as you're, you, you can enter into this gate that is Jesus, the straight and narrow gate that is Jesus. And what I'm not saying, don't put these words in my mouth. I'm not saying this, that once you sin, you've got to go, oh, crud. Like I better, I got I to get on this end quick and ask for forgiveness because if I get hit by a bus or train or lightning before I ask for forgiveness of the sin, I'm going straight to the highway of hell again. That's not how that works. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're, you're sealed and secure. You're in him. But you come to this place where this path has got to be hard. Uh, the translation that, that, that I'll show you guys, well, let's go ahead and throw up um, Matthew seven fourteen. Matthew seven fourteen. the last half of this. He, he says, hey, you know, this is the broad path. This is what it looks like. But then he tells us what this small gate, this narrow gate looks like. He says, but small is a gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. So he says, small is the gate, narrow the road. Small is the gate, narrow the road. If you're reading in the NIV, if that's your Bible, your Bible translates um, that word narrow as narrow. It's a Greek word called thybo, thybo. The ESV, it translates that as hard. So it would say the gate is small and the road is hard that Greek word thybo, other places where it's translated in Scripture, actually where it is, the way is most translated, this is, this is kind of, it makes me nervous because I don't know what this means yet, and I'm okay with telling you that. The way that that word thybo is most translated in Scripture in the New Testament is afflicted. <laughs> and I don't know if the translators like were just like, I don't know, if they were scared to put that in there because they put it in in other places, but read it with that word. But small is a gate, and afflicted is the road that leads to life. Other times it's translated as pressure. Other times it's distressed. Without a doubt, w- whether it's narrow, pressure, afflicted, or distressed, it's, it's no secret that this is gonna be somewhat hard, right? It's not gonna be the, this is not gonna be the easy thing. And I think the one that, that most like drives connection with me is the word pressure. Because I see the, I, and, I've seen and I've felt my life on the broad path. And the times when I go back and I look at my own life and I know for sure like, man, those were some broad path seasons of my life. There were moments where there was no pressure. It was, you're a completely different person at church than you are in literally every other environment. And I felt no pressure to change. That's what I saw everybody else do. So I just felt no pressure. It was the times in my life where I was doing things I knew I shouldn't be doing. And just in that season, there was no pressure. I wasn't walking with God, there was no no pressure. It was just, hey, just be you, do you, man, you got your thing. And again, this is, in a lot of churches, it's just like, we're just gonna fling the door open and everybody's welcome. And man, MCC, hear me on this. We are a come as you are church. But again, we would believe in a half gospel if we just believed and said, come as you are, stay as you are, no pressure. Because God's word makes it very clear. Like, man, there is a straight and narrow path that we are called and I will one day, and again, this is like why you shouldn't sign up to be a, a, a Sunday school teacher or go teach in children's ministry or ever do what I do, is I am held to a higher standard for lying to you and not telling you the whole gospel. I refuse to stand before God and go, I didn't really want to hurt their feelings and see what he does with me because of that. And so we get over here and we just say, man, no pressure, no pressure. Just do your thing. Just come as you your heart. Just do whatever. You, you know, well, what, in my heart, I am in my heart. And my hope is that we will be people who can love people enough because, man, this is the hard part about it, guys. Like, The person you most want in your circle is a person who will tell you the most brutal, honest truth. And that's what a good father does. I don't get a whole lot of things right as a dad, but I think last night I got one right. I was talking to my son <clears throat> and uh just so happened we were we were we were actually going through Matthew uh the gospel of Matthew as well and our like bedtime bible uh stuff with him and uh i just can't get enough um and so we're going through Matthew together and we were in Matthew 11 and Jesus has just come off this big long tirade where he's just he's just talking to his disciples about how to have courage and how people are gonna hate them hate them because of, of them following him. And then he says this, this, this awesome passage that man, if you ever felt weary burdened by what life is throwing at you, he says, uh, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I, and I invite you to come to me, uh, watch me, uh, walk with me and see how I do this, this life. And he talks about getting caught in these unfortunate uh, rhythms of grace. And he, he talks about his identity in that passage. And this is one of the things that stuck out to, to me and, and my oldest son, uh, seven year old Titus. Jesus is giving his identity. And he says, I am gentle and free of pride. And my wife is, she's, she's smirking because she knows our seven year old. Um, um, yesterday, we had spent the entire day, um, at family's house down in Carrollton with, with our whole family. And we we were there and, um, Titus has got a lot of cousins who are kind of in his age range. And so like seriously, the entire day, they spent uh, five hours playing football and five minutes eating. Uh, we spent the entire ride home from Carrollton to McDonough, just hearing him whine because he was hungry, uh, the entire ride home because he probably ate a biscuit or a roll or you know something and not like a full Thanksgiving meal. Like we're all like, I, we don't even wanna think about food. He's like, I'm so hungry. And we're like, yeah, because you play football for five hours and you ate for five minutes, that's why. But, as he was playing football, and I was all time QB I, I like honestly at those big family gatherings, I'd just rather hang out with the kids man I just I like being that uncle that's kind of where I go and um, I got to see how he acted uh, all day long and um, friends I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm totally okay with admitting to you that um, I don't think it was very gentle, and again, if anybody's ever been around him are um, really most seven year old boys there's not a whole lot of gentleness uh, that's just abounding, just spewing out of them um, so um, not a whole lot of gentleness and uh, not a whole lot of humility either. I wouldn't say he was free from pride, but I, I, we talked about it. And so we come to this passage and I see this and I, I'm trying to, and again, as parents, you ever felt that thing where you're like, Ooh, I'm not super gentle either. And I'm pretty prideful most of the time, but God, like, do I got clearance to take him down this road? You know what I mean? Parents. Cause you're like, man, like, God, like you kind of have to like whisper forgiveness and like, hey, make sure you and God are good before you can like hang out, you know, tell your kid, like I'm about to take you to the coals, buddy. Um, and so, and that's kind of what we're doing. And, and I'm trying to take him on this, try to let him figure it out for himself. And I say, okay, so who are we supposed to be like? He said, we're supposed to be like Jesus. Okay, cool. And I said, so, so what did Jesus say he was like here? he said, okay, he's, uh, he's gentle and he's free of pride. Okay, I said, so, all right, buddy, let's, let me ask you a question. Today, were you gentle and free of pride? He's like, yeah, yeah, dad. <laughs> and again, this is why I, I go, okay. And again, I, I saw the day, and he knows like, I, I don't, I'm, our parenting style is we're probably going to correct as we go, not just correct at the very end of it. Um, I kind of knew the day, and I knew that he was off uh, some, um, as all kids can tend to be and grown ups. And so I kind of called him to it, and I said, okay, buddy, well, let's talk about that. Tell me some times when you were gentle. <laughs> it's just crickets in his bedroom. Um and uh he says, I don't I don't really know. And I go, Okay. Well, talk to me about some times. I said, being free of pride means being humble. Okay, so talk to me about sometimes uh, today when when you were when you were being humble. And he goes, uh, <laughs> I don't know, dad. And so I pause for a second. Okay, okay, good, buddy. I'm I'm glad you're being being honest with yourself right there. Uh, So I say, um, okay, well, talk to me about um, the opposite of being gentle is being rough. And so um, can you think of maybe some times when you were rough? And he's just, oh, yeah, man, when I did that, when I knocked down my cousin Charlie and didn't offer to pick him back up. You know, he's just going, I mean, he's able to list off three or four things, like, without me even helping him, okay? Um, And so I go, okay, well, we'll talk to me about some times maybe when, you were a little prideful too. And, uh, you know, he talked about the time where he scored on his, you know, five-year-old cousin who's, you know, and he like spiked the football in his face and he's dabbing on him. And I said, yeah, that was pretty prideful. And, and he talks about the time of, of, you know, refusing to pass the ball to his older cousin who's like 15 inches taller than he is so that they could score. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty prideful too, man. And we just had a good conversation on that about like how, man, at the end of the day, And again, this is really important at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we can go back. And if we just go on our gut feeling, man, oftentimes we just wanna believe the best about ourselves, right? We wanna go, man, I did pretty good today. Like, yeah. And we don't go through the details. And man, the devil is in those bad boys too, isn't he? And when you start to have, and again, this is where you ask the question, how do I figure out if I'm on the straight and narrow path? How do I figure out if I've gone through the gate of Jesus and I'm here? Here's how you do it. You talk to the father and you get in his word. Because otherwise, like Titus is just going to bed going, yeah, I, I was gentle and humble. But if he doesn't have the presence of his father in the room, and if he doesn't have the scripture to be able to look at and see who Jesus is, then he, like me and like you, we don't have any hope of really knowing if we're wandering around aimlessly on the broad path or we're actually walking the hard, pressure-filled but absolutely best life that is available to us through the narrow gate on the narrow path. And my prayer is that you would find some people in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth about you. And if you don't have that yet, we need to get you in a group because that's where that happens. That's where people, man, I I think about an instance recently, man, we had some people in our group and we just, you know, if certain things happen, you can just kind of see, like you get around people enough, you can tell where they're carrying a burden they shouldn't be carrying. You ask, and you lean into those things, and you pray with each other, and you walk through those things, and you, and you call sense in, and you, and you call grace grace, and you help walk together through things. And my hope is that every single one of us, and even and look, some of you, man, I think one of Satan's best, and he's winning so good. And this, honestly, people watch online or people listen to the podcast. The reason I worry about you the most is because I know you're isolated, I know you feel lonely. And Satan has done some of his best work in my life when I was away from the pack, when I was away from the the tribe, when I was away from the family. And um, I don't know what we can do, I don't know how we can help, but my heart breaks, not just for the people who who only watch online, but my heart breaks for the people who only come in person maybe like once every other month. Because I I fear that all those times in between, where are you gathering around people to be able to call you to the mount, Where are you gathering around God's word to show you, um, not in a like, how dare you mess up and, and not measure up to who God's calling you to be, but friend, look at what is offered to you to be able to hold God's word open and go, this is what's available to you. Surrender to it, surrender to it, follow after this. And that's, that's why my heart, my, my, I get nervous. And that, that shepherding aspect of who I think God's called me to be, it goes into red alert because I, I go, man, it's not easy being lonely. It's hard. And I know for sure, because I've done a lot of this, this narrow, hard pressure-filled path, it gets easier when you have people doing it with you. And it just does. One of the things that my wife and I love to do um, is is go hike on like really strenuous trails uh, and do some like legit mountain stuff. And uh, it's one of the things that we love. Um, One of the times, one of my favorite times, um, no offense, but it was actually when she was not there. I did the hardest hike I ever did. She wouldn't have done this. She's like, she'll tell you straight up, she wouldn't have done this hike. Um, there, there's, a, there's a mountain in, in Rocky Mountain National Park called Long's Peak. And Long's Peak is, it's the, the standard for mountains in, in North America are 14ers. And, and Rocky Mountain National Park, the, long, the, the tallest mountain there is called Long's Peak. It's a 14,000 plus foot mountain. And at the time that I climbed this, I was living in Kansas, um, which if you're not sure about the two, just think opposites, um, Pancake Peaks. Um, and so I went, and I was climbing this with my friend, and you, you you get to spots on trails like that where it's not like trails that you hike in North Georgia where you're just like, oh, there's just a bunch of green stuff, and it's kind of a narrow path. You get to this exposed. What you get to is stuff that's outside of what's called the tree line. And when you're outside of the tree line, you're just exposed to wind. And, and this particular mountain is really dangerous because any time that you climb it, Most of the time, there are these afternoon thunderstorms that move in and when people die climbing Long's Peak, they die because they got caught in the storm and likely got electrocuted, struck by lightning. Yeah, so that was cool. And um, again, we're from Kansas at the time. And so it's almost like my blood oxygen levels are terrible. Every 10 feet feels like I went a mile just because you're not being able to get in the air that you need. And there are certain parts of the trail that you can only cross over and go through if you press into the mountain, because it's leaning into the mountain here or infinite death here. And so you're, you're going through these parts, especially as you get higher and higher, it gets harder and harder. And you find yourself just like sprawled out. I mean, you're just like Spider-Man on the rock, just kind of shimmying around to get to where you need to go. And that's the pressure that I'm talking about this pressure that says, if I don't lean in, some of you are in this season, you don't realize it yet. You're in a season where you will fall if you don't lean in. If you do not lean in right now, you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall. And I hope that this is something that you can recover from, that you have people around you that can help you up. But if you don't lean in now, you will fall. Because you can't, you can't, you can't do things on the narrow path that you would do on this path. This path says, keep all your baggage. You don't gotta let go of that debilitating belief. You don't gotta let go of that habit or that sin. You don't gotta let go of any money. Like God says, give out of the generosity of your own heart. And until you're generous, don't give. Until you have joy in your heart, don't give. Don't ever sacrifice, you know, whatever. Until you feel happy about it, don't do it. No. See, the narrow path, is gonna put pressure on you. And that's kinda, I mean, honestly, like if you wanna know, like how do I know if I'm there? You feel pressure, good pressure. The pressure that kind of creates diamonds, the pressure that creates a, a, a sold out follower of Jesus who makes a durable difference in this world, whose kids love Jesus, who their kids love Jesus, who leaves a legacy of their faith behind. And that's a life I want for us. That's a life I want for you. Jesus made this really clear in Luke 9, 23. He was talking to a group of people very much like us. And he says this to us today. He said to them all, you included, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Take up their cross daily and follow me. And friend, taking up a cross daily and following Jesus is never gonna be easy. It's gonna be dying to yourself. My prayer is that you love the one who died for you enough to die to yourself. And today we're we've been talking about this whole path thing, this, this, this broad path that leads to destruction, this narrow path that leads to life. And today you're gonna get to see with your very own eyes what it looks like for someone to walk that path. Today I'm gonna get to share a little bit of the story uh, of a man named Leon. Uh, Leon um, and, his, and his wife, they showed up at MCC not too long ago after a really, really hard time. It was a really hard time because uh, they had just lost a daughter who didn't see her first birthday. And they came in in a time where life was hard, where they felt all sorts of pressure. And man, if you've ever been in a grief, man, you've seen people go one way or the other, right? You've seen people go, how dare God? He hates me. How could he do something like this? And they get angry with God and they go run, run 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction from God. Down the broad path but by the grace of god that was not his story that desperation led him to say i've got to take this pain and brokenness and find some sort of hope and by the grace of god he came in and i was able to meet him and talk with him and he shared a little bit of their story and here at mcc we have this uh, thing called grief share for people who are going through uh, losing a loved one, losing um, someone that they desperately cared about. And it's a group environment where we process their grief together, all under the banner of Jesus. And the fact that he is making all things new and that, that we have these promises that man, if if the person who we lost is with Christ, then we can be with Christ and we can be with them and there is hope in the end of this broken, messed up world who takes things from us. The world does a really good job about teaching us how to get things. It does a terrible job at teaching us what to do when we lose something and grief share helps with that and through conversations and grief share and him and his his wife coming and being plugged in here and sitting under the authority of God's word and just being able to feel your love wrap around them as they were in a time of desperate loss, Leon realized that not just for the sake of being with my child, do I wanna surrender my life to Jesus, the one who I know she's with, but for the sake of being able to live this life for whatever amount of time I have left, I need Jesus. He is my only hope in this brokenness. He is my only hope in this pain. He is the only hope for my marriage. He is the only hope for my future to be the man that he's calling me to be. And so I wanna surrender my life to him. And we had a great conversation last week. And I can't wait to be able to to baptize him in front of you guys today. But before we do, we're gonna receive communion. And as we get ready to do this, there's kind of two crowds of people in the room today. There's a the first crowd who goes, man, I know I'm on the right path. Uh, this is where I'm at. I believe it. And for those of you on that path, who you say, man, I know I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Uh, there's a moment in my life when I was baptized. For those of you, this is where I would say, reassess. Look at your road. Don't be, don't be afraid to play the game film from yesterday. And go back and see what was really going on and ask yourself, what would it look like? Man, if this this gate is wide and it's broad and it leads to destruction and there are many on it, Jesus, how would you use my life on the straight and narrow to make sure there's even one less that are on the broad and wide? And there's another group of people and you don't know where you're at. You're unsure. You don't know if you have really let Jesus be just the savior of your life or really the Lord of your life. And maybe today, what he's asking you to do is to surrender it to him fully. If you've never taken a step of baptism, I would say, take it. That thing inside of you that's going, oh, that's probably a good idea, that's the Holy Spirit going, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Listen to him today, hear him today, follow, be obedient today. Because again, neutral is not an option, your indecision is a decision. And my hope and my prayer is that for you, if you're in that category where you don't know for sure what your life would be like if it ended today, what your eternal life would be like, whether it would be Jesus or it would be in hell, away from Jesus and the Father, if you don't know that, I'd love to, I'd love to baptize you today so that you can know that you know everything in your heart that you through the faith that you're putting in Jesus also are taking this outward step of obedience to him to say, I'm not just believing this in my head of this mental ascent that Jesus, you are God, but I'm surrendering my life through through the first act of surrender of baptism to say, my old life is gone. I'm being raised up new. And if that's you, man, the water's warm. We got this shirt, actually. It's not this one, obviously. It's kind of sweaty already. Uh, but a shirt just like this up there, shorts, everything you would need uh, where you can get in the water um, right, after Le- uh, right after Leon does. And we can baptize you too. If it's not today, maybe it can be tomorrow. Maybe it can be the next day. Maybe it can be next Sunday. If you want to get baptized, you can take that card that's right in front of you, fill that out. If you aren't able to give it to me, you can put it back there in those offering and next steps uh, boxes. But my prayer is that you would, you would know that neutral is not an option today, guys that your indecision is a decision. And as you come to Jesus, I pray that you commune with him. You look at your life, you don't just see where it is, you see where it's going. You see what he has to say about that. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we can only have in you. What is this life if it's not with you, Jesus? What, what is this life if it's not with you? What's a purpose, what's a point? If there's not something bigger and something greater after all of this happens? When it's all said and done. Father, let us not settle for easy now and painful for eternity. But let us be willing to trade some pain now for pleasure for eternity.